This episode is brought to you by Privacy. I've been using Privacy for a while now. It's a service that lets you buy things online using virtual cards instead of having to use your real ones, protecting your identity and bank info while you're online. Right now, new customers will automatically get five bucks to spend on their first purchase if you go to privacy.com slash barcode to sign up. It's super easy to set up and configure. No better way to protect your financial information while shopping online. You're fully in control of who charges you, when they charge you, and how much they charge you. It truly provides peace of mind for something we all do and all need to protect ourselves doing. So before you make that next online purchase, hit up privacy.com slash barcode and get yourself an account with five bucks to spend on your first purchase. Privacy.com slash barcode. Let's get it. Listening to the Barcode Podcast with your host, Chris Glandon, serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. Welcome aboard Airware Flight 0101, nonstop to Cyber City. This is your flight captain speaking. Please notice the seatbelt sign has been turned on. Please ensure it is locked properly, along with your phone, laptop, and any other electronic devices that require you to log in. As always, we anticipate a smooth ride, although there is always a chance of unexpected turbulence. We will do everything possible to minimize that risk, but in the case of that situation, be advised there's a barf bag in the seat back pocket in front of you labeled IR Plan. We wish you a pleasant flight and we hope to see you again soon. On behalf of all the crew, thank you for choosing Airware as your trusted airline today. Yo, Chris, I hate flying. I should be a barcode, feet on the ground, serving real drinks. Not these weak $20 airplane bottles. Relax, man, we're on vacation. You know Boozebot is holding it down for us anyway, so there's nothing to worry about. Yeah, I guess you're right. Speaking of worrying about it, how safe are these things, really? You know, actually, statistics say you are safer inside of an airplane than you are in your own car. Yeah, well, if you're talking about my Ferrari, I feel pretty safe in that. And it goes just as fast as these things. Although, if you're talking about one of those self-driving cars, yeah, I get it. At least we still have a real person up front steering this thing, I think. True. Well, cyber risks still exist at 40,000 feet. Just because you're flying high doesn't mean security stays grounded. Anywhere there's a connection, you're still at risk. You know, I'm more worried about that than hitting turbulence. We do need more security professionals in aviation, though. That's a fact. Okay, now I'm really worried. Excuse me, Stortus, can I get some peanuts and an OJ, please? Thank you. Dude, I know you're out of office today, but I need a drink. What can you rig up for me? Well, using my limited tool set here, I'm gonna make you something that is just plain easy. How about a tequila sunrise? Let's grab a highball glass with ice. You're gonna pour one and a half ounces of tequila, three quarter ounce cup of OJ, then slowly add three quarter ounce of grenadine. The trick is you wanna drizzle that down the side of the glass, then allow it to settle at the bottom. Here you go. Cool, thanks. 
Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm just going to kick back, throw on a movie, try to get rid of some of these nerves. Let's turn this bad boy on. What's this uh, new movie called? Uh, Dark Side? Uh, let me click on that. Tony, wait. No! Passengers, brace for impact! See y'all next round. Martin Pasher is an airline pilot, telecommunications engineer, and cybersecurity expert. Hey, Martin. Welcome aboard Barcode, man. Hi, Chris. Thank you for having me. Nice to be here. For sure, man. Uh, So first, let's just talk about your background. How did you get interested in aviation and when did your interest in cybersecurity occur? Yeah, Chris, it, it both happened in uh, when, when I was a teenager. I, I started flying glider planes during high school when I was 15 and uh, worked my way up then to being an airline co-pilot, which I'm right now. And at, uh, quite at the same time, I started tinkering with electronics and, and uh, uh, walkie-talkie radios, radio controllers and, and all that stuff. And uh, uh, at, at those stages in, in the 90s, uh, you had to connect through, through an analogous uh, modem to the internet. And I was tinkering with that. And uh, a couple of years later, I started uh, stealing Wi-Fi from my neighbors. And uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's when I, when, when I got started with it. And also learned to code a little, but um, I'm not an expert in, in, in coding, but still can, 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 can grasp it. When you're flying gliders, there's really no onboard electronics, right? So... When did it, uh, when you started flying planes and learning how to fly aircraft, is that really when your, your curiosity for electronics and, and coding kind of came into play because you were dealing with it more? Or was it just uh, sort of a hobby that you got into or an interest that you had that wasn't really directly related to flying? At, at first, it wasn't. So I, I kept doing it as a hobby. But when I saw how, how especially the larger airliner-style aircraft, how, how they operate, how they use uh, uh, GPS for positioning, their the flight management system, computers, and all that stuff, and I, I got curious very early what, what might be possible, how to tinker with it, and, and where the vulnerabilities lie. And that's basically when my interest started. Interest started, And then, then I, when I already was an airline pilot, uh, I started um, a distance learning study program, did a bachelor's in electronics and, and a master's in telecommunications technologies. And uh, to put that knowledge into practice, I, I tried to apply it on, 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 on the avionics and airline side, uh, starting, starting with the uh, navigation systems. And uh, it became obvious uh, pretty quick that it's, it's a mess and uh, a lot has to be done. It's a lot of old legacy technology we are dealing with it and most of those components um, haven't been designed to be interconnected with each other so there's a whole a, a lot of um, new ways of interactions between legacy components and and modern internet style uh, networking and that's basically when my interest is, uh, interest started into that topic so in security we've been getting hit hard with supply chain attacks. And I assume this is a concern for you as well when you think about the digital components within the aircraft. That absolutely concerns me. That's a, there's a lot of companies involved into building an aircraft and it's in a very uh, international industry. 
there's computer parts coming from all over the world and built together at, at Airbus or Boeing or whatever manufacturer. And uh, also during the life cycle of the, of an aircraft, um, a lot of spare parts are sent around the world when 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 they are when they are quickly needed somewhere. And I think there's a, a lot of um, possibilities for, for for someone with a malicious intent to to tinker with it or to um, take those parts on, on on their way when they are sent through through DHL or UPS or whatever company. And and it's I think it's easy to get a hold of a component and and tinker with it and then put it back. And also those those engineers that those uh, who are replacing the parts, they not not all of them have received proper cybersecurity training so when they when they apply software updates uh, for, for for example they they're supposed to manually compare a hash code and that's pretty much it to to um, ensure that the proper piece of software has been uploaded to a component so there's there's many many vulnerabilities i think along that um, supply chain where where you can uh, put malicious code onto computers or whatever Interesting. So can you give me an example of some of what those digital components would be? When I think of them, I'm thinking of, you know, GPS systems, but what other connected components would you typically find in an aircraft and specifically in the cockpit? Yeah, the GPS is a good start, but that's a technology that uh, that's um, very well known. And and also the, the um, weak points of it are known. But when it comes to um, flight control computers, those those black boxes that that convert pilot inputs or autopilot inputs into the actual commands which uh, move the, the surfaces to control the actual plane or the the engine controllers, that that's all parts we, we don't know a lot about it because it's that there's there's not a lot of public research going on. It all happens behind closed doors with the manufacturers. So we so the pilot community and the cybersecurity community. We we don't know a lot about what's going on in 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 those pieces of uh, of computers, and they are all interconnected through through legacy buses, so-called airing buses. And uh, it's it, if you're on onto that bus, there's no authentication going on. So and it's it 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 bases on uh, on on trust. So if if you get a hold of a component which is connected to the buses, you basically have an open door. To, to all the components. Very interesting. And, you know, from a passenger standpoint, I always think of, you know, the onboard in-flight video entertainment system. Is that somehow connected? Are you aware of how that infrastructure is set up within the aircraft? Or would it be more difficult for someone to get into the, I guess, the more critical aspects? That that's a good question. Uh, good that you bring it up. Um, those in-flight in entertainment systems, most of them are retrofitted from different manufacturers, and uh, I know of uh, about one system which still runs on on a Windows CE, which is like twenty years years old or so. I would assume it's quite easy to get into that, uh, but still there's firewalls and 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 measures into place so that. Um, there's no interconnection between the uh, more critical systems of the aircraft, but still they are connected because on the uh, IFE screens, you see the arrival time and, and the route, and that comes straight from the navigation computers of, of an aircraft. What I've been told is it, it's, uh, it, it works one, it, it's supposed to only work one way by so-called data diodes, but um, 
as you know, if, if there's a connection, you could always use it both ways, right? And even if you can't, it's still an issue because uh, imagine you'd be able to um, control the in-flight entertainment system. You could play out videos on, on all the screens and, and, and uh, cause a lot of panic and fear on, on board an, uh, of an aircraft without even accessing the more critical parts. And uh, I'm sure you know about that famous incident, I think it was in 2015 or so, when a famous hacker Chris Roberts, is, uh, when, when he claimed that he had been, uh, had, had been able to access the in-flight entertainment systems and also worked his way further down the road uh, towards, um, towards the engine controllers. I'm not sure if it's true or not, but it's, uh, it, it's, it highlights how, how the industry is, is dealing with those kind of, uh, of attackers and vulnerabilities. Because Chris Roberts has been handcuffed by, by the FBI and taken off the plane. And I think he, he didn't have a, a malicious intent. He, he was just pointing out vulnerabilities. And I think they should, they should rather work with him and, and pay him instead of uh, like penalizing him. him. Yeah, exactly. I agree 100%. And I do, in fact, remember that story involving Chris Roberts. And I'll try to get that story posted on the show notes so our listeners who are not familiar with it can can check it out. So in addition to supply chain attacks, what are some other direct security threats that exist within the aviation industry? Yeah, and I've, I get this question a lot and um, I don't want to scare people off, but I'd, I'd, let's, let's get right to the point. Um, you could uh, take full control of the aircraft and um, if if you were able to infiltrate the software update process to those uh, mentioned flight control computers, you could, for example, inject the little code. It, it would just be a couple of lines of codes. Code that the check is has a date, predefined date already passed, and if no, just continue normally. No one would notice. And if yes, for example, put the elevator to full up, regardless of what the pilot does on 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 his controls, and that would. Bring all all those uh, all the aircraft infected with this kind of uh, of malware would would probably bring them bring it down, because there's not a lot you can do if your if your elevator goes goes to full up, your your uh, nose would get, would go up and uh, aircraft would stall and probably crash. So that's the most catastrophic event I could think of. Of course, we'd have to discuss. Um, who is who is the um, what what's the intent? Is it is it a terrorist? Is it a state actor? And what what is he trying to uh, to achieve with this? With this, but uh, it highlights that it's a lot easier and more scalable than like traditional uh, terrorist attack, where you where you have to put yourself at risk by trying to to put the uh, to to take a bomb or explosives or knives or whatever on on the plane, which which is getting really hard those days after nine eleven. Yeah. In terms of detection, are there any controls that will detect malicious code injection or anomalous behavior and then alert you to switch over to a more manual control? Or would that be too late at that point? Of course, it's all the planes are built very redundantly, so you can, can always uh, when when the computer fails, uh, replace it by something else. And 
even the most modern planes, if if the uh, if if there's no electricity anymore, there's still basic possibility to control it and to keep it in the air. But you'd have to notice quickly. You'd have to notice that uh, a component doesn't fail, but it it has been infected with with something. And uh, that brings me to the point of of the human factor and of pilot training, because. As pilots, we want to be and we have to be the last line of defense in, in any safety or security uh, issues, any kind of emergency. But to be able to do that, we have to know what uh, what, what the problem is or, or could be. And the, and the training mostly covers um, honest mistakes of, of failures of components, which are normally easy to handle. But it doesn't cover a lot the malicious intent of, of, of somebody especially when it comes to cybersecurity. Got it. So I'd say there's definitely a void there in, in terms of time to detect and response. You mentioned uh, 9-11. So, you know, post 9-11, the FAA enforced strict policies to strengthen physical controls around those boarding aircraft and, and ensuring safety for passengers. Do you feel like the threat of a cyber attack should be addressed in a similar way without an act of cyber terrorism actually happening? Is there a way to, you know, stress that important to the airline industry to prevent an attack like this? I certainly hope so. And I think on, especially on the regulatory side, it's, uh, they, they, they are getting the point and they are doing a lot. Um, I know only about EASA, which is the European um, Aviation Safety Agency, which is kind of the counterpart of the FAA um, in in America, but they are normally coordinating their efforts. But what they are doing, they are um, they're moving away from a mere certification of of aircraft because certification just means compliance, right? And and, and it doesn't uh, it, you can't assure that it's continuously uh, secure. And I think that there's a paradigm shift slowly happening to to a, to a continuous life cycle management of of uh, not only the technical components but also the software uh, parts of, of of an aircraft. And that's the right way they are going. But uh, legislation is slow, and I think it's going to take a couple of years before we have we, we have independent uh, pen testing and uh, mandatory reporting of, of incidents and all that stuff, which is kind of standard practice in, in the software industry and, and banking or wherever money is uh, uh, sent around the world. They have learned their, their lessons, but we, we, we are still in the early stages of this process in, in aviation. But I, th- I think we're on the right track here. In terms of pen testing systems, are you aware if airlines rely on the software manufacturers to perform testing or is it performed independently? I'm sure the manufacturers do it, but it don't talk about it a lot. So it, it all happens behind closed doors and they, they, are, they just claim that their uh, products are safe and secure and certified and don't share the information. Um, I'm not sure if it's done on a, um, on a more holistic level, like um, having the, looking at the, at the, at the complete aircraft and the, uh, interwork interplay of, of of the components i don't know about it uh, and i'm sure that not enough independent penetration testing is done because 
as far as I know, to, to, to this day, the manufacturers are very reluctant to let outside uh, researchers uh, get a hold of, the, of, 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 their, of their components because they're they they still um, in, in, the, in that security by obscurity um, thing and we, and we, we know that's, that's flawed and it only works as, as long as you really are able to keep all the information um, um, confidential and, and that's, that's very hard to achieve and even impossible in, in, in an international industry. I would say so. That's definitely something which which should happen. So the industry should um, supply test beds, uh, real aircraft, but uh, even more um, virtualized uh, test beds for independent researchers to to do their pen testing. That really should be done. And I don't know about any projects uh, going on in uh, uh, like this right now. I see your point. You know, when you look at 9-11 and the terrorists involved there, you know that they attended flight school. You know that they had access to flight manuals, simulators, et cetera. And, and with that, using that gained an intricate knowledge of how to pilot that specific aircraft. If you end up releasing aircraft software for vulnerability testing or bug bounty programs, I can see where the same approach could be taken from an attacker's perspective. And I'm curious to get your take on that. Would it be beneficial to have an internal vetted group of cybersecurity pen testers assess that software versus open sourcing it, which would allow independent researchers to, to gain free access to it? Yeah, you you already gave the the answer. Uh, that's exactly the way it, it should be. Uh, you, you you can't uh, com make it completely open source because it's it's so many pieces of of software which are ten or twenty or thirty years old and still still programmed in in Fortran language which no one can code anymore. And uh, and it takes a while. The life cycle of an aircraft is like fifty years or so, and you you can't. Uh, all at all at once, uh, put it out in, in, into the wild and in, into open source. But as you explained, that's exactly what should be done. Uh, industry should open up to to vetted, interviewed researchers, have them sign confidentiality agreement or whatever. But uh, important thing is that they don't control or influence the kind of penetration testing that that's done. So it it has to be an open playground for the, for 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 the, for this creative tinkering hacker community to to play around a, a little because only then you uh, you get a grasp of, of the possible attack vectors because uh, aviation uh, engineers and I, I'd say they, they think very straightforward very formalized and that's on the contrary to the creativeness of the hacker community and you have to take the best of both worlds here agreed and having Regulatory requirements in place would help enforce those rules. So I guess to your knowledge, are there any formal frameworks such as a NIST framework, for instance, that focuses on aviation security? I know in Europe, uh, EASA, which is the umbrella organization, but they mandated the member states or the member countries of the European Union to, um, uh, to nominate an authority, 
to to pick up these tasks and it, it can be the national aviation authority but it also can be uh, something like like you mentioned nist uh, if countries have this they could um, um, give them the res responsibility so it's as you said it's kind of in in development and uh, but i don't know if there's a um, uh, centralized nist for aviation or something i don't think so gotcha Understanding both sides is very unique. You know, you've been very fortunate to get a vantage point from both sides. So for those that that don't have that and they're looking to start a career in aviation security, are there any training courses available, any certifications um, or would you say that training in this area is just limited at this point? But what I know about uh, there's uh, standardization bodies in Europe and in the US. It's it's the Euro CAE and uh, RTCA on the US side, and they are uh, preparing regulatory documents which uh, later uh, end up in um, in in regulations or in laws, and they offer uh, training courses for for the for the industry mainly. So I, I think what's uh, more important is to to get young students into it, and I know about the uh, Technical University of uh, Tallinn in in Estonia, in Europe. They put together and uh, recently an introduction into aviation cybersecurity course, which is uh, mandatory for some of their master programs. So that's exactly the the right way we should uh, we should go, and uh, that's what I meant with uh, we need we need more public research. And we, we, we need the universities and the community pick up on uh, on it. So it's it's slowly starting, and I hope to uh, I hope that more study programs or, or training courses uh, are, are going to come out in in the future. Yeah, I hope so. Um, you know, we talked about onboard controllers. How about air traffic controllers? So, what are your thoughts there in terms of technology? pilots use to communicate with those on the ground and have you noticed vulnerabilities or weaknesses there that could be detrimental absolutely so the, the most basic communications link between pilots and air traffic controllers is still um, very high frequency vhf voice communications just like a normal radio in the about the 110 120 megahertz range pretty basic technology maybe 50 60 years old or even older and uh, it's it's an open channel there's no authentication you could just buy a radio um for for 100 dollars or something and and just hit the key and 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 speak on the on the on the frequency and it, that's that has happened before that's not really a cybersecurity issue but those voice communication channels are slowly being replaced by by text messaging, which is which is called CPDLC, Controller Pilot uh, Data Link Communications. We love acronyms in uh, aviation. CPDLC <laughs> sounds cool, right? And uh, it, it's basically a text messaging system where standardized messages for, for like um, um, American Airlines one two three climb to flight level four one zero. Pilot would just hit OK and and acknowledge it. Uh, but there's there's no uh, encryption. There's no proper authentication at all. It, it's it's a data uh, digital channel which still goes via VHF or um, satellite communication. But it's pretty easy to uh, to um, tamper with it and f uh, 
forge messages or in, inject wrong messages. And uh, on on the on the voice channel, you you still have a feel about whether that sounds right. What you the instructions you're getting because they are all in a very standardized format. And if somebody would just talk, you'd easily spot it. So you, you still get a little feel of it, but uh, to uh, to to spoof a text message would be a lot of easier, and and, it, and it'd be harder to um, spot that it's coming from somebody else and not the one you uh, you think you're talking with, like the controller in that case. In terms of proximity, where would you have to communicate from? Do you need to be within a certain distance of an air traffic controller? You you have to be in a certain range for the for the VHF channels. It's like 150, 200 miles or so, but that system automatically switches to satellite communication, so you can basically use it all over the world or over oceans where you, where you don't have uh, where, where you're towers. not in range of, of 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 towers, right? You you need satellite communications in 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 that case, and you can't really easily spot on board the, the plane if you're using the VHF channel or the, or the satellite channel, but both of them are, are not properly secured in the um, when it when it comes to, to encryption and and uh, authentication and uh, all those basic cybersecurity properties we we know about. Yeah, and if an attacker was able to intercept that signal, you know, or potentially flood it with static noise, for instance, are pilots trained on how to? operate that aircraft if the communication was interrupted absolutely that's what a very basic part of pilot training to, to handle communication failures uh, because you're on your own uh, anyway so you, you can always land a plane without talking to anybody uh, but it's going to be a problem if if it happens to a lot of planes at the same time in in, in dense airspaces because it, it it'd be hard for the pilots to coordinate with each other who is landing first or, or who's who's at what altitude, and that would that would create a huge mess. But it's not that uh, that an aircraft would instantly fall out of the sky uh, only of because of a communication loss. Because communication losses ha happen rarely but regularly because of technical failures, and it's. To my knowledge, a simple communication failure has never put a plane down. Let's talk about where the future is heading. You know, we spoke about aspiring professionals coming up through their career, but what about the development of advanced technology? Are you aware of any ML or AI based integration that will help pilots in terms of? adjusting their flight patterns or helping to avoid severe weather conditions, anything like that exists to your knowledge? Yeah, I think so. There are projects, but in, in, in commercial airlines, they are not, we're not using it on board an aircraft. I'm sure airlines use it in their, in their ground operations. Um, I don't think any, AI uh, equipment is used on, on on board an aircraft yet. Maybe in uh, air traffic control, but that's that's not my field of expertise. I, I'm I'm sure they are looking into it at least. But what's what's the hard thing about aviation? You need to standardize it around the world because it has to be uh, interoperable with with all the ground units around the world, and it it takes centuries to to uh, agree on a common standard. So that's that's gonna take a while. 
to, yeah. to to change something on the on the technology uh, level. But anyway, we, we we can't rely on the technical solutions uh, alone. Anyway, I, th I think we need to focus more on the on the human uh, on the human factor and and put some more awareness and and training in the whole industry. Not only pilots, but also aircraft engineers, uh, air traffic controllers, even cabin crew. That's a great point. Your primary focus as a pilot is getting from A to B safely. Although you have these other aspects of security to, to consider as well. Um, real quick, back to the AI aspect. You know, you're seeing more embedded AI in automobiles now, especially when you look at self-driving cars. Please don't tell me we will see self-flying planes anytime soon. <laughs> I'm not so sure about it. I think there's, there's such a massive cost pressure in the airline industry. And I think that's a wet dream of any airline CEO to, to get rid of, of, of those nasty, expensive pilots in, in, in the front. <laughs> so I think they're working on it heavily. But if you compare it an, uh, to the automobile sector, the safety levels are at, at, at a whole different level. Because in, in airline, we, we have safety at around a fatal accident every million of flights. It's even better, actually. It's, it's like one fatal accident uh, every, every 10 or more million flights, which is, which is really, really good. That is really good. And, and I hate flying. So hearing that puts my mind at ease. Yeah. And if you compare it to the, uh, to, to the automobile sector, even in Germany alone, there's, there's around or even more than 3,000 deaths a year on the roads. So if you, if you can put that number down to like a thousand or even lower by using AI and ML technology, it would be a great success and it would be easy to convince people that it's a good thing. But in aviation, starting from this high level of safety we have right now, it's, it would be really hard to take the human out of the equation here. Because as I said, that's, that's how we want to see ourselves we are the pilots, we are the last line of defense in any kind of, of emergency of our technical failures or weather or problems on board we have, like with the sick passengers or whatever. It's uh, for, for some kind of rare problems, you need human creativity to solve the, 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 the problem because machine learning can, can only learn from, from experience. It, 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 it gets fed. And if something has never happened before, it'd be hard for, for, for an AI to make a good decision. That's, I think that's, it, it's going to take a couple of centuries bef before, before you can uh, take humans out of the equation here. Technically, it, it, it's going to be easy to just let a, a plane fly uh, autonomously around, but you, you can't reach the safety levels we, we have right now. And at the end of the day, you're securing human lives, right? In addition to securing aircraft systems. True. How about the differences between technology in commercial aircraft versus military aircraft? Would you be able to comment on that at all? I don't know a lot about the military, uh, but what I know is that a lot of the technology they are using uh, at the later stage, years later, uh, finds their way into, into commercial aircraft. So I, I can only hope that they are further down on, on, on the way and they have 
better cybersecurity measures and uh, in, in in place already, and that is slowly coming uh, to the commercial side as well. But uh, I don't know about it, and if I knew, I probably wouldn't be allowed to tell. <laughs> right? So, no, I'm honestly, sure it's highly classified. Uh, yeah, exactly. Honestly, I I don't know a lot about the uh, military side. Yeah, no worries. So has anything ever happened to you specifically in terms of signal interruption or tampering of electronic devices during any of your flights? And if so, would you mind sharing that story with us? Sure. Uh, so gladly nothing really bad hasn't happened yet to me. Um, not even a cyber attack by definition. Um, but the... Uh, it has happened to me that the GPS has been uh, blocked or failing, which is no problem at all, because uh, the aircraft would just uh, continue on the heading or maintain altitude and we have other means of navigation, no problem at all. Uh, but on this uh, one flight to Egypt I had a couple of months ago to, to Cairo, uh, I'd, I'd assume that has been spoofing uh, and, and spoofing attack, not particularly on my plane, but maybe somebody playing around with a GPS spoof or GPS simulator, because it happened to me that my navigation display in front of me uh, was was jumping around by by 100 or 200 miles, while while the flight management system, which which fetched the the data into that navigation display. Uh, was was still showing me high accuracy of about 0 0.08 miles uh, merit circle. So computer was basically thinking it it, it was 200 miles uh, away from from the place. It was easy to spot because the map was was jumping back and forth. So probably the signal was weak or something. It was easy to handle. We would, um, Captain and me we just reverted to the basic modes. Just put the autopilot on onto heading and and maintain altitude mode. We did not even have to switch off the autopilot, but uh, it it was interesting to see what what could happen. And if you just put some malicious intent on top of it, you could spoof an aircraft to 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 only only slowly, gradually uh, changing its course without the pilots even noticing. So I don't think it has happened uh, yet, but it's uh, I, I, it's for sure it's a possibility. That's scary. With that level of control, I'd imagine that you could spoof a pilot's coordinates where, you know, you could remain on the same flight path. But in reality, you know, you could be 500 miles to the east of where you should be. So I guess would something like that be possible? And would you have a way to detect it? I, th I think it could be detected. Detected, um, it would take a while, but in cruise flight, it's not a big of an issue because you, you would take alternative means of navigation and just correct your course. I, I think see. the problem is on on approaches and on landings, and on more and more airports, uh, they rely solely on GPS for for navigation right down to the to the runway. For for landings down to a visibility in fog, like like uh, um, maybe a thousand feet or something. And 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 just a 0.1 mile offset would would be enough to for the aircraft not to hit the runway, but but the building on the on the airport, and that that be only seconds to spot it. I think that's where the where the most risk lies on 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 landings in in bad weather with bad visibility. Gotcha. Now, when you're flying, do you have a radar to see aircraft that's flying around you? 
yeah, very basic one. It's a collision avoidance system. You can see the proximate position and, and altitude of aircraft around you. And uh, they're slowly implementing um, something more, which, which uses the actual GPS positions of other aircraft and, and puts them on, onto the display in front of me relative to my position. But we're not uh, supposed to rely on it too much. Gotcha. It's it's just to to complete the overall picture. It's it's not accurate and, and not reliable enough yet to 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 make any uh, decisions for collision avoidance for for the pilots yet. It's it's okay. more of a situational awareness thing at this point. So if that were to be taken offline for whatever reason, it wouldn't be a huge risk for you. And not to the pilots themselves, but I assume if someone would tamper with that uh, system, uh, it would also impact the air traffic controllers view of, of their airspace and that'd be more of an issue than, right. than actually to the pilots. Right. Right. That makes sense. Do you have any insight into onboard payment systems and how that works? So say I want to purchase Wi-Fi or maybe a drink using my credit card in terms of protecting my PII or PII or credit card numbers of a passenger. Do you have any, you know, architectural knowledge there or thoughts on, you know, the risk of payment processing on board? Uh, I've heard about it, but I don't think it's a lot of a lot different than than payment systems on the ground. Uh, the only issue that could arise on board an aircraft is that connectivity is lost. And they, 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 they can't make sure that you are the proper card holder or that the, the transaction is, is authorized. And I think that has been more of an issue when uh, a couple of years ago, when they were when the cabin attendants were doing onboard sales and they had those credit card machines, which were already electronic, but they didn't have a connection to the banks. So they, they, uh, they must have had um, um, just um, static lists of, of uh, stolen cards or something. So they had no proper way of uh, authenticating a payment in real time. And there has been some issues with that. Um, I'm, I'm not so sure about uh, how, how um, credit card is, uh, transactions are handled on, on board the aircraft. But I'd assume it's, if there's a connection to the ground, it, it's, it happens the same way at, uh, as at your local coffee shop, maybe. Yeah, from a passenger standpoint, it could be a concern but you know, you take the same approach and safety measures as if you were on the ground. So as a commercial airline pilot, you know, who's traveled the world, I'm sure you have seen some really unique bars along the way. Would you be able to share one in particular that was just an awesome experience for you? Absolutely. So I'm, I'm not that big of a drinker, but I'd, I'd love a, a, a nice afterwork drink, of course. And, uh, the destination I like most is, is Hong Kong and uh, you can you can party there all night and uh, it's uh, it suits our lifestyle well because it's um, um, when you're jet lagged you're, it's like evening when it's already in the morning there and uh, there's a there's a nice uh, bar district which is called uh, Lang Kwai Fong and uh, maybe at four in the night or so all the airline crews, all the pilots and cabin crew, they all move to the to the dusk till dawn bar, which is like a five minutes walk from there. You, you wouldn't want to go there in in the evening probably, but uh, like at three or four in the night, uh, really the um, 
it gets going there. They have live music and you, you see the flight attendants dancing and uh, <laughs> having fun there. Really love that place. That's awesome, man. So it's exclusive to pilots. No, not at all. It's uh, they, they just just the pilots and the flight attendants get discount there because I see. Uh, crew they love discounts, <laughs> but it's open <laughs> to everybody. That's that's really cool. So Martin, looks like we have just begun our initial descent here. So do you have time for one more question? Sure, go ahead. All right. If you opened a cybersecurity themed bar, what would the name be, and what would your signature drink be called? Um, I, I think I, I'd call it black. I call it the black box bar. I, I'm, I'm sure that name's already taken, but it it gives uh, it, it gives a nice little aviation uh, theme point as well to it, because the, the, the black block black box it somehow describes that security by obscurity thing we're we're still struggling with in in aviation cybersecurity, and uh, there'd be two signature drinks. Uh, the first would be. Uh, called malaria prophylaxis. Oh wow! Which is actually an excuse for drinking a nice gin and tonic out of a plastic bottle or plastic cups, which is a <laughs> very famous after-work drink with uh, with crews. But of course, that'd be another drink on the bar, uh, which which I would call uh, the secure flight, and that's just a double shot of espresso, and it comes with a bottle of water and a can of Red Bull to go because we don't want any pilots flying under the influence, right? Oh, right. Especially, so that, yeah, especially not the ones I'm flying with. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I yeah. love the name, but, but two really uh, interesting things come to mind in terms of black boxes. Number one, some people may not want to recover what happens at a bar. <laughs> and number two, you tend to lose control at a bar. Even better than, and as it has different meanings, for sure it gets uh, the, the, the discussion started, right? So I'm going to stick with Absolutely. the name. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, awesome, Martin. Uh, you know, thank you for the insight into cybersecurity within the aviation field. Uh, where can our listeners find you online and connect with you? Um, I'd say on, on LinkedIn is the best way. Excellent. And I've and, got a profile uh, on there. I've, I'm, uh, I'm friends with you there. So everybody's on your side can easily find me by just punching in my name there. Perfect. And I'll, I'll get a direct link on the show notes for this website. Uh, so people can reach you with, uh, with one click there. So awesome. Martin, stay safe and Godspeed, brother. You too. Thanks for having me. Godspeed. patrons if you like this episode and would like to support the podcast rate us on apple podcast and visit our patreon site patreon.com slash barcode podcast if you're interested in sponsoring the show check out the barcode podcast.com slash sponsor cheers unfortunately it's time to shut the bar down for this episode thanks for stopping in see you next time we'll save you a seat be sure to check us out at thebarcodepodcast.com.